I'm Greg Johnson. Welcome to CounterCurrents Radio. We are back with our Saturday live stream. If you would like to send a question or a comment or a donation, you are welcome to do that through entropystream.live. It's across the bottom of the screen. Go to entropystream.live forward slash countercurrents and hit the green button. We're not streaming there, but you can use it uh, to send a super chat and we will go through all super chats in the course of the stream. Also, if you'd like to send a tip through Odyssey, that would be most welcome. And finally, uh, we are streaming on DLive and we will take your diamonds, lemons, ninjaginis, ninjets, whatever you'd like to send our way. Uh, that's very much appreciated as well. Finally, we are streaming on a new platform called Political, which is a European social media kind of platform for politics junkies. And they have a very favorably First Amendment type rules. So I thought we would just try it out and see what it is like to stream there as well. So I hope there's some people listening on Politicall as well, and I hope the audience will grow. So my guest today is Paul Kersey. I have known this gentleman for a long time. Gosh, I think going back to maybe 2007, 2008. And he is going to be talking today about a reissue of what is my favorite of his many books, uh, Whitey on the Moon. We talked about these topics years ago when the Forbidden or Hidden Figures movie came out. And it's a, it's a favorite topic for both of us. So, Paul, uh, welcome to the show. Let me take myself off of mute there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Greg. It's great to talk to you and great to have the opportunity to speak to your audience. And I uh, really want to thank you for the platform that you've built. Congratulations on your success. And yeah, I guess it has been probably about 06. Um, I think it was when we met, maybe even 05 uh, in Atlanta, GA. So yeah, it's been quite a while going on 20 years and you have accomplished a tremendous amount as a writer. And I, I've seen you, it was in my living room in Atlanta that you reserved the stuff white people don't like domain name. Yeah. I remember that. Stuff black people don't like, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so I've I've watched. I was there at the founding. It was like being there at Independence Hall when they were signing that declaration. But anyway, there's a lot has come of your career since then. You published how many books now? Well, I kind of look at it this way: uh, with Antelope Hill buying everything and really doing the deep dive into the um, into things, which I'm very happy about. Um, I would say that. Realistically, it's 15, but that was on that was that was pre-George Floyd <laughs> uh, the right. revolution of 2020. That was when Amazon allowed you to do some really great things. And uh, that that's all gone now, of course. So luckily, right. luckily, you know, you and of course, you've dealt with the horror of that having to deal with your being utterly deplatformed from that setting, um, which is it's it's soul crushing uh, to see all that hard work you put in and then instantaneously Jeff Bezos's team says, nope, this has to go. So, right. So you had 15 books on yeah, Amazon. And in fact, I'm going to throw something out at you. If you don't know about it, there's this amazing website called thriftbooks.com. Once again, mm -hmm. it's thriftbooks.com. It's uh, the aggregate of all the thrift stores in America. And oh. you have quite a collection of books of yours that are on there. Uh, huh. If you go to thriftbook.com, and type in Greg Johnson, you can get pretty much any of the books you've 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 published. In fact, I've actually found some rare copies of uh, first edition Camp of the Saints for a couple hundred bucks. 
Um, I found a first edition copy of Madison Grant's um, Passing the Great Race for 50 bucks. It's the be it, it is better than Amazon because it's not uh, neutered yet. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It is, uh, it is, it is amazing what you can find. David Irving, Jared Taylor, um, Revelo Oliver. Just and and you can get uh you can if the item's out of stock, you can basically add it to your cart and it'll alert you when it comes into stock. So it's uh that's in my opinion the best place to buy books. And like I said, your entire catalog is on there. So yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I, this is exciting. Uh, I just well, actually I, I just bought a copy, Greg, of your uh your Batman uh compendium. Oh, great. Which needs to be updated, I think. <laughs> oh yeah, there's been there's been a lot. Uh uh, a lot of new stuff, uh, definitely. So, when? Okay, so this was 2020 when you were deplatformed from Amazon, and you went to Antelope Hill. And Antelope Hill is uh, they're, they're they're bringing up two titles that I've seen. One is Black Mecca Down about Atlanta, and the other is Whitey on the Moon. Are there others to follow? Yeah, they're going to do them all. They're going to do. Um, oh, fantastic! They're going to do their lives. Their lives matter. Uh, the book of that kind of. This is one of the the, the crazy stories. Um, you know, I started documenting. I, I had a friend who was murdered in Atlanta, Brittany Watts, uh, back in twenty twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, twenty eleven, and she was legitimately murdered by this black college student who targeted three white people that day in June of 2011 because they were white and because he had learned about white privilege in college. He actually admitted mm -hmm. this in court. And I have a friend who, um, who had a friend that was actually on the jury. And he told me how just shocking some of the revelations, what they found about the racial aspects of that court case. So I started doing documentation of whenever there was a black and white murder. And again, I know it's low hanging fruit. It's awful because it happens so much, but there are so many that are just that need to be discussed. And so I would say his name is or her name is kind of right. an homage to Tyler Durden and um, and Fight Club. And then in Fight Club 2, I had a friend call me when uh, the graphic novel Fight Club 2 came out. And forgive me, I can never pronounce Chuck's last name correctly. Polinick. Yeah. He actually mentioned, you know, Tyler Durden lives through Paul Kersey whenever he documents interracial black on white murder in the form. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. He actually, and he also mentions um, uh, Richard Spencer being punched by, you know, punch a Nazi. Uh, that's actually mentioned too in the forward. It's, it's very fascinating because it's like, you know, why is, why is one of my favorite authors? How did he even know about this? And so that was, that was really cool. So that's, you know. Have you read Adjustment Day? Uh, isn't that about the alt-right? Yeah. Yeah, he was obviously doing a deep dive into uh, our sphere of things to to research that. You know, I, I I've read. I think I read your review or someone's review on your site. Here's the yeah, crazy Jeff thing. Costello wrote a review, and I I wrote a, a smaller piece on it. I think you'd agree with me. As you're looking at thriftbooks.com, if you're looking at all the books they have available of yours, I'm sure you're sitting there thinking to yourself, "When did I write that? When did I write some of these essays?" Right. We're at a point now where, you know, the past four years have been so weird for everyone, the COVID lockdown, the insanity of what all happened. And of course, the color revolution in the United States uh, with the George Floyd chaos, um, which, by the way, I wish I wish some of our guys could get uh, recrimination in the form of what Seattle just gave, what, nine million dollars, 10 million dollars to BLM Antifa protests right. arrested. Uh, New York has done the same thing. Philadelphia has done the same thing, as has Denver 
to the tune of about $30 million. These people got paid to riot and uh, create havoc. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of times I don't even remember when I wrote some of this stuff. Like I, I'm before our interview today, I was flipping through, you know, Whitey on the moon. I'm like, when did I, re when did I research this stuff? When, when was I reading these books? And um, mm -hmm. you know, that great meme that everyone knows of the black woman, the, the very portly, uh, corpulent black woman with her, her daughter and a, and a, and a, and a, and a stroller with the sign, you know, billions for space, pennies for the poor. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's from jet magazine. I actually found that when I was researching, you know, the whole poor people's campaign that, that marched to Cape Canaveral back in uh, July 19th. Um, I'm sorry, July 15th, 1969 to protest when the blacks mm -hmm. were protesting. I found that image and I, I forgot because you can still see the, in the original, you can see how bad the, um, my photograph of it was on my iPhone at the time when I uploaded it onto Twitter mm -hmm. or, or onto the old blogspot site. So it is, it's, it's fascinating to think, you know, time doesn't stop for anyone, but at the same time, when you write something, you get to go back and you get to think, God, where, where was I when I was writing this? Where was I when I encountered these ideas or, or, or this new, this new anecdote from history. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with your, I think you've published what, 20, 20 plus books. I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. I, I published my 20th book at the end of last year. And yeah, it is uh, kind of wild when I, I'm looking around, I'll Google something and something by me comes up and I'll look at this and I'll think, wait, I don't remember writing this. And then I look at it. It's like, oh yeah, now it's coming back. I've written quite a lot of material over the years, you know, 20 bo books worth of stuff, plus all the unanthologized un things that are still out there. So, yeah, I know, I know how it is. Uh, there are so many things to write. And for me, you know, I don't think I have a particularly bad memory or anything like that. I remember a lot of stuff. I've got a pretty good memory. But when things are coming at you fast and furious, oftentimes you don't, process events into long-term memory. So I will work intensely on a piece and I will publish it. And then something else is immediately demanding my attention. And for whatever reason, the last thing I wrote doesn't get processed into long-term memory. And so I'm just, I'm always running, you know, I'm always running from one project to another. And then I'll have a pleasant surprise a few years later when I I discover an Easter egg uh, that I buried uh, for myself out on the internet. You know, it, it comes back to me and it's like, wait, I, I wrote this. When did I write this? And I'll look at the date and it, it'll, it'll come back to me. I haven't got to the point where I literally can't recall certain things, but well, to I'll, me, it's I'll get fascinating about To me, it's fascinating about 2020 because it still feels like yesterday that the lockdown started. I, I can, I remember exactly where I was when, um, the NBA player went nuts at a press conference and he, it was in Salt Lake city and everyone's like, Oh, aren't you worried about COVID? And this black guy stands up and starts rubbing everything. I don't know if you remember yeah. this. And then he gets COVID. So the NBA season, they cancel it. And that really was the catalyst. It was the, uh, it was the national basketball association that canceled their season. The NCAA followed shortly with men's and women's basketball. And then the world just shut down there in mid May and mid March. And so some ways I know this is a really lame reference, but, I'm, I kind of feel like this craziness with Trump and the border and everything that's happening, things are really starting to happen again, where it's almost like Thanos is snap. And it's like, okay, wait a second. I'm alive again. Like what, what all happened? And so I actually read, read your book recently, the, um, the year America died. And there's so much that I just, 
wasn't cognizant of that happened in 2020. How crazy that year really was. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm outside of Richmond and I can tell you that um, I went to the weekend that they tried to burn the Confederate Museum and they desecrated the monuments on mm -hmm. Monument Avenue that are all gone now. I went there on the Sunday before Memorial Day and it was as if a revolution had transpired. You know, Richmond's gentrifying very fast. So Monument Avenue is a very wealthy area. And there were just, you know, white people walking and walking their dogs and with their, you know, couple had kids, but most of them were, you know, most of them were dinks, dual income, you know, no kids. And mm -hmm. they're, they're not aware of what's happening. You could smell the, the fire. You could, it was, it was palpable. You could see the signs, you know, um, the graffiti everywhere. And it was like, I think we just lost whatever was left of the historic American nation and whatever comes next is mm -hmm. a revolution. And I, you know, I can't even go to Monument Avenue anymore because the statues of Maury and Jefferson Davis and Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee and um, Jeb Stewart, they're all gone. The pedestals are gone. There's no memory at all. It's like, um, it's as if the aliens in World of the Worlds came down and zapped you know, the, the humans, and then they just disappeared. It's, it's gone. There's no memory. Um, and it's, it's, it's really hard to think about when I moved here, those monuments were all there. And then less than 18 mm -hmm. months later, this, this glorious memory to reconciliation um, has been, has been utterly extirpated. And it's, um, it's an exciting time. It's uh, right now, there's a lot happening. Um, I remember you had an event back in uh, early 2017 in New York City, the night yeah. that Trump did his Muslim ban, and you think back to all that energy that existed, and that's been floating out there. It, it hasn't been harnessed yet. You know, it's it's almost it's it's good. It's like who is going to harness it and in what capacity? And um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's some very exciting things happening right now. And again, that's why I'm so happy that Antelope Hill is has come out with uh, these new additions, and they're doing great work. You're doing great work. Um, I mean, I know we're talking about my book, but just to be happy about what's happening. Steve Saylor has his book coming out, which, you know, he's not one of us all the way, but he's, he's been a bridge to our ideas for a lot of people, uh, Greg, and he's got a book coming out called noticing. And Oh, I didn't know that. That's who's publishing it. Passage press. Uh, and you know, Steve has become a, a force of nature on Twitter and yeah. he's gotten into some amazing spats with, um, with this one, um, sociologist and he's basically you know about race and iq and uh you know that type of stuff and charts and he's just like oh anybody that interacts with steve sailor is a vicious racist and should be ignored and shunned from society and it's like you do realize that you know the republican party right now has basically aped the ideas that were being espoused by peter brimlow and pat buchanan and sam francis you know back in the early in the early aughts um you know i'm sure you remember this pat buchanan oh yeah one of his last books was called Can American, you know, it's called Suicide of the Superpower. Will America Survive to 2025? Yeah. And here we are now where, you know, you've basically. We're on the brink of 2025. When I founded Countercurrents in 2010, I was thinking 2025, uh, things might be very, very different. And so when I saw that uh, Buchanan book, I actually gave it a review because it just sort of coincided with with my thinking, I can imagine that America will have a different map in 2025 and we're going into the election that might trigger all of those changes. But, but let's talk about your book 
And then what I'd like to do is maybe segue in the second hour so we can talk just about politics. And folks, if you have super chats uh, that you would like to get in line for the next hour for Paul Kersey and me, please go ahead and do that. We'll definitely get to them all. But, but I, I, this topic of Whitey on the Moon really interests me. I, I recently published an, an article at Countercurrents about Ayn Rand and the conquest of space. And way back in 1999, I gave a, a lecture course on different ideas of the good life. And, and one of the ideas of the good life that have been espoused by philosophers is the heroic conquest of nature. And I used Ayn Rand as the writer as the example of that. And I, I assigned her two of her essays that are on the space program, one on Apollo 11 and the other called Elegy for a Nation, or uh, which was about the cancellation of the moon missions a few years later. And uh, it, was, it was interesting. It was one of those lectures where, you know, I, when I write a lecture, I'll write out all my notes and I'll get all my ideas clear. But the last thing I want to do is go in there and just read because it gets really dry. So I'll go in there and I'll just wing it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, that, that, may, that sounds like, uh, maybe derogatory. I, I do it extemporaneously. And sometimes they come out better. Usually they come out better because they're fresher, but sometimes they come out worse. And this was actually one that came out worse. And I, I listened to the audio of it and it's like, eh, this isn't very good. And then I was going through a bunch of boxes of papers that I got recently and I found the lecture notes and I typed up the latter half that just deal with the space program and yeah, moved a few things around, did some, did some editing and published it on the website. And that just got me thinking about what a glorious time it was in America's history when we sent the first man to the moon. This has been more, it's been more than 50 years since men have set foot on the moon. We thought that we were on the way to flying cars and space stations and uh, colonizing uh, the galaxy. But people had other plans. Some very powerful people had other plans. And we have been deflected from that glorious future that we thought was just around the corner. Matt Parrott said it really well. He, he Once he said, they promised us flying cars, but now we just have flaming cars, meaning, you know, the, he was talking about uh, the uh, annual New Year's car roasts that would go on in the uh, suburbs of Paris. And I guess they still do. They promised us flying cars, but we ended up with flaming cars. Our future has been denied. And uh, there's this uh, poem by Gil Scott Heron, Whitey on the Moon, where this uh, black man is is complaining about the space mission. Uh, why? Well, because he and his people are miserable on the earth. A rat done bit his sister, you know, and Whitey's on the moon. And somehow Whitey's responsible for that, even though he's on the moon. Well, you know, Whitey hasn't been on the moon in more than 50 years. And the problems of the poor have not disappeared. In fact, there are more poor people than ever. And there's no borders and they're flooding in many, many hands outstretched. And it's such a poetic turn of events. It's such a poetic way of, of, of looking at, at the future. This, this is the future that progressives thought that uh, they were offering us. This was the Star Trek future where we're going to go out into the galaxy and be progressive. Uh, and the progressives have uh, actually dealt 
uh, us regression, uh, technological regression, uh, and uh, it's it's sad. So I, I was really glad when you when you wrote this and published this. And we I remember we talked about uh, hidden figures. Yeah, that very silly movie about you know the only way we can have a black uh, have a space program now is if we can create a we was astronauts narrative, a fake narrative, or largely fake narrative. It was, uh, it, was, it was incredibly fake. And real quick, Greg, if I can jump in, just say, yeah. Charles Murray, who wrote The Bell Curve and who's written a lot of really good stuff, he wrote the definitive book on the Apollo program. And at any point, he could have stepped in and he could have said, I've never heard of the name Katherine Johnson. I've never right. heard of any of these names when Hidden Figures has come out, uh, was on it, was being released and being lauded by the New York Times and the New York, uh, New York Times book of, you know, the magazine and Time and, and every corporate uh, entity. He just came out with a website that debunks Hidden Figures. Hmm. I, don't know if you, I don't know if you knew that. He, he published about an 80-page paper you can read, and it completely eviscerates, uh, just as I was trying to do, you know, um, back in 20. God, was that 2015, 2016 when Hidden Figures came out? Um, I think it was 2017. Uh, yeah, 2016, Charles, 2017. Charles Murray could have stepped in at any point and said, you know, I, I you know, I've researched this with my, with my wife. We wrote a book together. Yeah. It's a great book. It's an amazing book. And this is all nonsense. This is all, this is all a fake narrative designed to discredit what is largely, easily the most incredible adventure that, Western man has ever gone on, uh, you know, that again, and it was exclusively due to the ingenuity of, 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 you know, um, you know, white Americans. And then of course, uh, those who came over with project, project paperclip, uh, Werner von Braun and, and all of his, uh, all of his friends uh, who were responsible for the V2 for the, for, for the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad that uh, Murray uh, spoke up about this. <laughs> That's actually kind of gutsy of him. And it's I, better uh, late than never, and he better, kind of, yeah, he kind of said it was done posthumously, and it's 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 not cowardice, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you know, you know, you know, because I think one of his last books was basically an attack against um, white privilege and the ideas that you know all white people are uniquely evil. I forgot the title, but it's like Charles, you're you're in your mid seventies, maybe late. Late He's 81 years. now. Okay. Okay. He exactly. just turned 81 uh, this Excellent. month. Gotcha. So it's like, dude, what are you waiting for? Like, you know, yeah. he has gone. Like, eh, come on. At this point, you, you've got to come out all guns and blazing and state what needs to be said so that you will earn that honor. I, I've been watching the, um, the Sharp series, the, the Sean Bean show about, uh, you know, the Napoleonic Wars. He's a British officer and the whole show is based on honor. And it's like, you know, when you screw up, you know, your, your sacred honors at stake. And it's like, Charles, the country you were born into and that you lived through, that's gone. That's been erased, dude. Like now it's for what comes next, uh, the next yeah. era of Western civilization. And you have the opportunity to know the truth about the space program, about what happened, about the men and the women, the white men and the white women who were responsible, not these, not this Hollywood narrative that, on its face, it's 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 just incredulous to try and believe any of this happened, um, and uh, that's that sort of was the impetus behind Whitey on the Moon, the book. It was I just started researching uh, and reading. Really, I was motivated, Greg, by the fantastic. Um, I know you have a great appreciation for this director, Christopher Nolan's 2011, 2012. I guess that came out in 2012, uh, Interstellar. 
Yeah. Uh, and there's so many just amazing quotes in that movie about, you know, I think my favorite one was, quote, we used to look up at the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry at our place in the dirt, end quote. Yeah. There's another great quote. Um, We've always defined ourselves by the ability to overcome the impossible. We count these moments, these moments when we dare to aim higher, to break barriers, to reach for the stars, to make the unknown known. We count these moments as our proudest achievements, but we lost all that. Or perhaps we've just forgotten that we are all, we're all still pioneers and we've barely begun and that our greatest accomplishments cannot be behind us, that our destiny lies above us, end quote. That was from mm-hmm. the Matthew McConaughey character, Cooper. And yeah. I, I just remember when the trailer came out, how inspiring that was because it's almost as if everybody has acquiesced and surrendered to this idea of perpetual decline and that nothing can be done to make things better. And um, I, I don't ascribe to that. I, I don't, if, if we fall into that, then we should just all go ahead and give up, stop writing, stop caring about the past because you know, it, it, it's over. We've lost. If, if you buy into yeah. that we're, you know, you know, accept that, okay. Rhodesia once existed. Now it's Zimbabwe. Rhodesia is never coming back. Yeah, it's not right. going to be back, but something better is going to be in its place because we now know there can be no peace with people who want you dead and mm-hmm. or those who want to take away the future that we inherited. Um, you know, I never really thought about this math before I, I wrote White in the Moon that the Wright brothers flew on December 17th, 1903, and it was 65 years later on July 20th, 1969, that, you know, uh, Neil Armstrong and uh, Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon. I mean, that's, that's the most mind blowing stat. And and again, I'm sure there's some people listening who are like, Oh, come on. We didn't go to the moon. That's nonsense. Uh, I, I, yeah, well, uh, they, they, they have some flat earth real estate to sell you. If you, if you believe that, but uh, let's, let's just, let's just ignore those. I agree. I agree. But when you, when you think about human history in that, in that, in that um, in that time span of all that yeah. was accomplished, but at the same time, all that was lost. I mean, and unfortunately, we have to realize that at the same time, Western man is at its highest peak, so to speak, landing on the moon, landing two landing two white guys on the moon with uh, poor Michael Collins uh, <laughs> circling around, <laughs> waiting for them to come back. That's got to be the loneliest space on Earth. Uh, I'm sorry, in the universe at that point, watching your two brothers, uh, you know. And NASA and the Apollo program land on the moon. But to think though, the decline that was happening at the same time that you had had two just gratuitous world wars that drained the best blood of England, France, Germany, and Russia, and the great war of 1914 to 19, uh, 1918. And then of course, just the catastrophic, uh, just devastating 1939 to 1945 conflict that, you know, Mm -hmm. We might never we, we might never recover from unfortunately uh, those two bloodbaths, but at the same time there was still enough in the tank to propel us to what we thought was going to be, and what I think even the richest man on the planet, Elon Musk, he still hopes is that the stars are ours, and we just have to find a way to break the chains of egalitarianism and whatever whatever masochism holds us back from from just being, right. I mean, we don't owe these people anything. And I think that is the vision that we're all hoping someone can give us so that we can no longer give a shit, pardon my Spanish, if if um, if Whitey's on the moon and, and some black guy's back on Earth in the dirt with uh, his sister getting bit by a rat. 
I don't care. Right. That's not my fault. Yeah. Yeah. It's not my fault either. And, uh, you know, the the idea that we can't move forward until every hot and tot has his three square meals and you know his uh, his little little carton of milk every day is just insanity because they're never going to move forward they're never going to progress and that just means that we're going to be standing still and that life henceforth will be in a three-legged race with people who just drag us down, drag us behind. I spent a month in India in January of 2004. And it was really a fascinating experience. And in India, there are probably 200 million people who are really highly intelligent, highly intelligent, highly educated people. Uh, They can have a space program. They can have their own airlines and defense industry and, uh, IT and all this kind of stuff. They they can do that. And a country of 200 million above average people is a potential world power. The only thing holding them back was more than a billion profoundly sub-average people that they were sharing the subcontinent with. And it was it was very interesting. You could just see the constant struggle. The and the in the weird juxtapositions. You know, you get on board the airplane and the door closes and it's modern and uh, clean, but you have just traversed this absolute chaos in uh, in the airport, absolute filth (laughs) to get there. And then you've got more of that to look forward to. (laughs) You know, you step off the, the gangplank and there's God knows what that 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 fluid is on the runway, you know, to to greet you. It it's 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 disturbing. And because if you want to know what the future of America is like if we do nothing, that's like the best case scenario. We have advanced civilization precariously holding itself above just chaos and poverty because there's so many people who just they're just not up to or into modern civilization, sadly. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, there's no British Empire to decimate the thuggy cult, which actually helped uh, create that uh, that class of uh, 200 million plus uh, that are at the top of the caste system there in India. Uh, if you think about what what the British Empire brought to civilize and and create a, a unifying culture, I have no desire ever to go to India. My rule is never go to a country where you can't drink the water. <laughs> so, right. Uh, and inc- increasingly, that's a lot of America. Uh, yeah. You won't find me. Well, don't America. worry. India is coming here. Uh, so, you know, if you don't, if you won't go there, it'll, it'll come to you. We have open borders now. So yeah, that's, uh, you, you, you might think you can avoid the third world, but the third world will not avoid you. Do you think you can get a copy of Whitey on the moon into the hands of Elon Musk? I wanted you know, to talk about this guy. It's funny. It's funny you say that because I have been so inspired by Elon Musk for uh, over a decade. I read a biography on him, and at the end of the book, I wish I had this in front of me. I've got got five thousand books in my house. I'm not sure where it is. Uh, at the end of the book, he's sitting there being interviewed by the guy who wrote it, and he he brings up for no reason idiocracy, and he said. And I'm surprised a lot of people haven't hit Elon Musk on this and tried to cancel him. I think at one time I tweeted it out. 
But he talks about how he's so terrified that's the future if no one does anything. He was so influenced by the 2006 Michael Judge film, uh, Mike Judge, Idiocracy. And he said, you know, those of us who can should be having as many kids as possible because right now those who those who really can't do anything on their own are the ones pro, uh, procreating. And that's always stuck with me um, that he would actually notice that. And then, you know, obviously everything that's happened since, you know, the, the incredible rise of Tesla, SpaceX, which were it not for SpaceX, we'd be still relying on the Russians to have uh, astronauts from the United States go to the, go to space, go to the space station. And we've seen since Elon Musk has purchased Twitter after going on the Babylon Bee podcast, I think it was in December of 2021, where he talked about wokeism. Elon Musk has been one of the more mercurial and odd individuals because he's flirting with some of the craziest ideas. Yet at the same time, he's still talking about how, you know, yeah, we should make it easy for people to legally come to America. But he's out there retweeting black on white crime statistics. He's talking about what's happening in South Africa. He, you know, he's going after the ADL and media matters. He's retweeting Keith Woods. And he said, what was the one tweet that he did that was so crazy that got the ADL and, and, and basically unified right and left uh, Judaism against him when Ben Shapiro, everyone's like, whoa, 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 where he was like, exactly right. I think where he retweeted someone who said, these are the people who are after, after white people. And it was a crazy tweet. Um, I, forgive me for not remembering exactly what it was, but it's, you have to wonder how far he's actually thought about some of these ideas and concepts. He saw South Africa fall. I mean, Greg, South Africa was the first country that had the uh, first successful heart transplant. I just actually ordered the book about the doctor who, who did that. I can't wait to read it. I mean, South Africa under apartheid, they had, uh, I think, just under a dozen nuclear uh, atom bombs. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a just, it was a paradise. I mean, I think you and I have watched the movie uh, Africa, Africa Dio, yeah, Africa Dio together, and that scene on in Cape Town or wherever it is, the beach scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I Arnold Schwarzenegger has led such an interesting life, and in his autobiography of a bodybuilder, uh, he talks about going to Cape Town and hanging out with Reg Park, one of the most famous bodybuilders of all time, and how just they had an Olympic sized pool that overlooked Cape Town, or and, and he was just. He's like, this is what I want life to be. And I kind of figure like that might be the pinnacle of Western man right there. Like we've, this is our, this is our country. We've subdued a continent that, you know, has such vast resources and we've created almost, you know, we've almost created the most uh, racially aware government, you know, the Confederacy, if you read Alexander Stevens' cornerstone speech, or of course, Germany uh, in 1930, 1933 and, and onwards in 1945, but it's like, man, living through that time period where we've gone to the moon, you know, you, you, you know, you can go to the beach and just see a bunch of good looking white people <laughs> in South Africa. I mean, for the time being, I hate to say it, but I think there's a, like a little stretch between, between say the Apollo program to when it ends in 72. I think Gene Cernan was the last man to walk on the moon. He just recently died. And I think that was 1972. Um, if, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just, it's just really sad. And you have to wonder, Elon Musk, there are so few people in, in, in our history, uh, Greg, that are really responsible for pushing, pushing humanity. I'm going to stop using that word. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to be egalitarian. 
there are so few people who are responsible for pushing Europeans, white people forward. Uh, you think about mm -hmm. past century. I mean, who, who would you say have been responsible for some of the biggest changes? Henry Ford. Uh, I'm trying to think of individuals who've done so much to, to make life better, to give a vision. And I think Elon Musk is one of those people now who has the opportunity you know, he wants to colonize Mars and we can't colonize Mars if the United States of America is colonized and we can't and we no longer even have a space program. And and yeah. SpaceX right now is being sued by the Biden administration for having an insufficient amount of refugees employed. And for uh, I think the DOJ has sued SpaceX or Tesla for for racism against a black janitor, if memory serves correct. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked about this movie before, and I think. I think uh, Elon Musk is one of those people who asked the question, why can't things be better? In 2015, Disney put out a very weird film that bombed. It's called Tomorrowland with George Clooney. And I love it. I think it's great because it basically is about the future that white people had created on their own. And then it opens up with the Cape Canaveral space station being dismantled piece by piece. Mm -hmm. uh, McGraw is... Um, the dad of the, of the, of the protagonist and a beautiful white girl. And she tries to stop it from happening because she's like, we're, we're, you know, it opens up with her looking at the stars and saying, you know, they ask her, they say, why do you want to go up there? You know, what, what if there's nothing up there? And she goes, what if there's everything? And that to me is, it's such a beautiful scene because she sees as a young child in the, in the heavens, you know, the, the possible, the, mm -hmm. the, possible and then the whole movie is about everything getting worse mm -hmm. and we're dismantling our gateway to the stars that's what the whole premise is and george clooney was horribly miscast as the main protagonist but i recommend everyone watch that because it basically shows that you know most people will will accept decline and they're just gonna one of them live their lives and just be able to jump on netflix and you know make sure that they can eke a living out. And there are so few who motivate and give people an inspiration. You know, Walt Disney was one of those people, Greg. Walt Disney is one of the main reasons we have NASA. And I write about this in Whitey on the Moon. He, in the 1950s, uh, they had a show where they would um, broadcast ideas. And it was called Tomorrowland, I believe, if not mistaken. And he mm -hmm. had Von Braun on. This was before NASA was created. This mm -hmm. is Von Braun had been, uh, you know, Von Braun had been a prisoner for less than a year in Texas. And then, you know, he started to work on the rocketry program for the Mercury program. Uh, well, I'm sorry, that would be the late fifties after Sputnik, which then, which luckily spurred our government into action. But Walt Disney was fascinated with, 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 with space travel. And he mm -hmm. gave, he gave Von Braun a platform to go out when you only had three channels, ABC, CBS, and NBC in the fifties. And to talk about what it would be like to go to the moon, to go to Mars, to live in space. And that is, to me, Walt Disney's greatest gift is he offered the opportunity to a generation of kids who are wearing Daniel Boone caps to then think, to then take those off and stop looking to the past and say, hey, I'm going to put on a space, I'm going to put on a space suit and a space and a, and a, and a space uh, helmet. And we're mm -hmm. going to think about being Buzz Aldrin. Um, and he gave Von Braun that platform to 
give Americans at a time where we had just, we had supremacy over the world at that point. You know, the Cold War really wasn't about to kick gears off. Um, and we were looking forward to something. And to think that roughly 14 years later, after that aired, we did land, you know, the Apollo 11 uh, program was successful and that, or that mission was successful. And that's what Elon Musk is. Elon Musk is trying desperately, but he's, he's up against the most frightening force ever that believes they're on the verge of winning for good. And they might be, and, and those are our enemies. Um, we don't right. do that. And, that, and that's what Elon Musk is standing athwart history um, <laughs> saying, no, there's a different way. And yeah. And it's so interesting that he realizes that freedom of speech is the absolutely necessary thing that he needs to, you know, get, get us back on the right path, get us back in the upward path. Uh, the man believes in eugenics. Uh, the man believes in space exploration. Uh, he's obviously smart enough. He's smarter than us. So surely he knows all the things that we know and uh, many more. Uh, I hope he's put them together. Uh, I hope he realizes the thing, the big thing he needs to get through his head is he's not going to get what he wants without giving the Jewish community a hard no. Uh, and to, that's, going to be very, very difficult. Uh, this uh, recent trip to Auschwitz uh, really was kind of breathtaking. We have a question here about that. Uh, we might as well just go into that right now because it's yeah, so relevant. Rules of Reality sent us 25 US dollars. Thank you very much. What do you think of Musk's being escorted to Auschwitz for shame? How much more harassment and humiliation can he be subjected to before he reaches out to whites and says enough is enough? Will he fully embrace his European heritage and, and take up white advocacy? Penny for Musk's thoughts that day. Well, the, the this was just fascinating for me and Twitter. Twitter was a real feast while this was going on. Our, our guys are... are at the top of their meme game, you know, talking about Musk and yeah. and th this stuff. But um, for me, it just it just sort of felt like okay, he's realized that if he's going to do business in this planet, he's got to get mobbed up. How do you get mobbed up? Well, you get mobbed up by by going and kissing or praying at the Wailing Wall and you know uh, weeping, squeezing out a few crocodile tears at Auschwitz. Uh, I, you know, I hope he gets some breathing room out of this. That's, that's, that's what I would like to say. Uh, I don't think that this educational trip to Auschwitz might have, might've given them the, put it this way. They were definitely trying to teach him a lesson by dragging him off to Auschwitz. I don't know if he learned the lesson that they were trying to teach. There's there are a lot of lessons that you can learn from this. And a lot of people are looking at this and realizing, wow, these people are very powerful. They're very, very malevolent. And they really are absolutely bound and determined that we do not have the First Amendment in America, that we do not have free speech on any global platform. And they are going after this guy. And maybe he feels like going along with this you know, we'll give him some breathing space. I don't know, but it looks like he's trying to get mobbed up by uh, going, going along with Ben Shapiro and that crowd. 
uh, you know, there, there are two big crowds of Jews. There's the Jewish left and the Jewish right. And uh, if you spurn both of them, you have a giant target on you. And I think that maybe he's trying to get, get him some uh, breathing space so he can continue pursuing what he wants to do, which is more freedom on X, Twitter. And ultimately, though, he's got enormous ambitions. He's a, you know, he, if he gets what he wants, he's, he's going to be a, a man of destiny. He's going to be a hero. And this is something I wanted to talk about. Uh, one of our commentators said this, uh, and I just thought it was brilliant. If somebody takes the lead and turns things around and saves the white race, that person is going to have eternal glory. That person is going to be regarded by future generations in hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of years into the future as almost a God. There is eternal glory on the table and nobody's grabbed for it yet. Uh, and it's appalling that nobody's grabbed for it. And we, we have to make clear you know, what's, what's on the table, what's at stake, what, what they can expect for this. You know all these disgusting traitors like Biden, that they think there's going to be statues of them someday and that they'll be venerated for the role as traitors to their people. People are motivated by that. Why are there not people who are going to be motivated to save our race and with it, save the planet, basically, because there's a lot of glory in that. You know, that's such a difficult question because no man lives forever. And we all believe, we all know that individually you will die. When you have children, I have, I have two. They will live on through you and collectively your, your people uh, have the ability to continue on. And that's what ultimately the goal is right now. I just feel that it's such, again, it's such a difficult question because we've seen, and we've lived under the tyranny of the defeat of the Axis powers during world war II. when the United States, let's face it. And I, I I'm not offended by this. You know, the United States was a pretty cool country in the 1940s that, you know, it's like, it's almost, I'll say this and, and people get mad at me. It's almost like, why were we fighting Germany? It's, you know, in an alternate timeline, Charles Lindbergh would have been the one who was that if he had run against Roosevelt. It's almost like in 1864 when Lincoln was having to arrest the Maryland legislature because they wanted to secede. And had it not been for the fall of Atlanta, um, he would not, he probably would have lost to, oh God, what was his, gen, what was the general's name? George McClellan that, that ran against him. So many what ifs in history. And here we are now. You've just asked the ultimate, why not, Greg? Why not? Why has why has that white individual not stood up? And I, I don't know the answer to that because everything that has happened, it's basically a world that very smart men, very smart men from you know Richard Nixon to his great advisor, Pat Buchanan, to to individuals who have tried to say uh you know they're doing their best cassandra guys 
everything that Madison Grant wrote about back in the 1920s, passing the great race, Luther Stoddard, it's all come true. Like we had everything and we gave it away. Is this truly just like, I believe Peter Brumlow calls it uh, Greg Hitler's revenge that everyone is just terrified of taking our own side because that means you're going to have to be, you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that, well, wait a second, maybe, maybe the high watermark was December 5th, 1941 when the german army could see the spires of moscow <laughs> they were that close um mm -hmm. and, and again if you know what i'm talking about you know that's how close russia was to collapsing and then of mm -hmm. course the calamity of pearl harbor and what happens next i i don't know the answer to it because you know fundamentally that's the only thing that matters right now um you know we've seen the horror of what happened between russia and ukraine and how many how many white people are dying for for basically whatever you want to call it, the global American empire versus, versus Russia. Uh, I've read how many Ukrainians have died during this insane conflict that basically is just trying to force, you know, horrible American ideals on, on, you know, on, on Russia. And ugh, it's, it's just, I think that's, I think that's the world historical question right now. Does mm -hmm. somebody want to take the crown or not? Uh, right. And, and, uh, yeah, it's 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 there for the taking, and it would be lovely if somebody could come forward with the uh, the stature and the resources of of, of a person like Musk. Uh, I, if if I could, real quick, that's why Trump was so popular because Trump yeah. came out of nowhere and talked about ideas that were low hanging fruit, but that didn't matter because nobody else would pick the fruit off the tree or off the ground yeah. and say, Hey, here, here, try this, try this apple. You've been given all these other apples for so long. Try this green one. How does that right. taste? Oh, it tastes great. You know why? Because it tastes like the country you knew we should be. And that's why, yeah. what, that's why what's happening at the border with Texas and the United States, uh, the federal government with, with, uh, with at, with governor Abbott, that's why people are just, people want something else. They know what's happening is wrong. And there is an army of individuals there's millions upon millions of white people in the United States and all throughout Europe and in Australia and all throughout the world who are just saying, come on. I mean, what's what? Please, you know, can we finally just is somebody going to look up and just say those two beautiful letters combined that you've said has to be told to uh, our, our, our historic adversary? No. Yeah. That's it. A hard no. A hard no. And uh, if you have, if you can't say no, you're not a free man. Uh, we have a couple questions here. Eric has written in, and he want, wonders if first editions of your books are available out there. Uh, yeah, they're very hard to find. Um, nobody wants to sell them yet, but, but they'll be out no, there. No, yeah. it's funny to say it because if you go on eBay, there, I think they go for like a hundred a pop. Um, I mean, again, it, it's it's just so sad that we once lived in a world where you could get any of the countercurrents books. You guys were kicked off of Amazon, what, 2018, 2019? It started in 2019. It started in February of 2019. Uh, Jared Taylor and I were the first to go. Uh, my White Nationalist Manifesto and his White Identity Politics were the first two. And then there was a a flood of others that came after. There are some revisionist books that have been taken down sometime before, but yeah, or there was a book. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, there was a, there was a, but there was like a new uh, push and they chose, uh, they honored 
Jared and me with uh, making us the first of the of the big purge of white identity books. It's a badge of honor as far as I'm concerned. I'm in good company. Go ahead. Yeah, you can find most of them on eBay. They're all, almost everyone goes for about a hundred bucks. And then, like I said, that thriftbooks.com website. Again, I encourage every listener out there, if you just like, if you want to have books that will never be changed and won't be digitally altered uh, in our in our Orwellian time space where, you know, they're going on in there. If you've got an ebook, they can go in and they can edit it. Uh, get the old copies of books. I highly encourage that. And if you have kids and you're listening, go out there and get every copy of the landmark books that were published in the 1950s and early 1960s. They celebrate an America that was unashamedly white. And, uh, you know, if you need to email me, I'll help you, you know, find them all. Uh, you can email me at because we live here at protonmail.com. Once again, that's uh, because we live here at protonmail.com. I encourage everyone out there, get all the books you can of your favorite authors like Greg Johnson, the Countercurrents books, um, you know, Jared Taylor, you know, find find those books and have them and cherish them because, you know, we are living in an age where the ideas that we're espousing, that we're discussing, they are the ultimate toxicity to the elite. We're the only ones who are uh, voicing a coherent narrative that combats what they what, what they're doing now. Um decisively uh, a true criticism against diversity, inclusion, and equity and wokeism because it's simply anti-white. And if it's yeah. anti-white, then it doesn't want us to procreate and ensure that our civilization not only endures, but proliferates. And um, so, yeah, you can get them on eBay, email me. I've got a couple copies um, of all the books, but again, it, the, the purge happened so fast back in 2020 that I really wasn't paying attention, had a lot going on. And um Again, that's that's why you can never rest on your laurels and think that things are going to continue uh, unimpeded, uh, as unfortunately you found out in 2019. Yeah. So tell me, you're overseeing the process of getting these back into print. Is there another new book that's in the works? Can you give us a little you know, teaser? I'm, really con I'm concentrating on, I've been doing a podcast with Jared Taylor uh, weekly since 2016 and Greg Hood, who you know very well has yeah. decided and convinced me to do a podcast with him that's going to be totally about one topic, culture, something that's happening that really uh, resonates with, um, with, uh, with, with our race, with our people. And we just did one on Elon Musk, actually, which I think was very good. You know, Kevin, um, again, everyone knows he wants to go by that name now. Uh, Kevin is, is such an amazing individual. And he, he kind of realizes, you know, we're both in our, in our late 30s, early 40s. Now's the time. Like, what are we waiting for? You know, if the, if it's going to happen, there it's going to happen in the next half decade. Something big, and uh, I'm I'm inspired when I hear that. I've known Kevin since um, 2007. I think I met him at a John Randolph Club meeting in uh, Washington D.C. Yeah, I met him in 2006 at the American Renaissance Conference. He, I guess he might have been there. That was the conference where. Uh, the the infamous Michael the infamous Hart incident. Michael Hart, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. The God, infamous the stories, Michael Hart incident. The stories yeah. I could tell from that conference would just make people literally like, like, what are you talking about? Or then when I went to the Barnes Review conference, and I think it was oh seven. No, it was oh six. It was oh six when um when Joe Sobern got up and started attacking the Muslims who actually had paid for the conference because it was a nine eleven 
conspiracy <laughs> event. And of course, Joe Sobern had attacked the Jews at the 2004 American Renaissance Conference, uh, which, uh, you know, you're not supposed to, anyways, not supposed to do. But yeah, I know Kevin, uh, I didn't know he was at the 06 AR. Yeah, my first yeah. AR was 2004. I was, uh, I was just turned 20. And um, that was at the, uh, that awesome facility right by uh, Dulles. Um, yeah. And man, golly, that was 20 years ago. How crazy is that to think about? Yeah. Yeah. So my, first, my first American Renaissance was 20 years ago this February. I, I, yeah. Holy cow. That's a crazy thought. So anyways. Well, um, Paul, let's, uh, let's wrap. Uh, folks, uh, buy Whitey on the Moon and stay tuned at Antelope Hill and get the get his other books that are coming out. I like the cover of Whitey on the Moon. It looks really nice. I like it too. Uh, yeah. So Antelope Hill, they're doing a great job. They're bringing a lot of great books back. My favorite Whitey on the Moon uh, is out. 